Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. We're happy once again this Sunday to have our brother Don Pell with us. We'll turn the remainder of our meeting over to Brother Don at this time. I hope you kept your place at John's Gospel, chapter 13, because we are going to revisit that again. You may recall last week we found two lessons there. One had to do with joyful service, service that actually came by serving others. If we serve others in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, you have done it unto me, and we explored that. But we're not going to revisit that. We're going to go into lesson number two. And lesson number two has to do with sanctified living, living a sanctified life. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, but I find that every time I revisit this, it really thrills my heart to understand what Jesus is really teaching here. It very much affects our daily lives. The key verse is found in verse number 10. Now, Buck read it in the King James And the word washed appeared twice. I'm going to read it in one of the other translations, and most of them actually go like this. Verse 10. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed, different word, needs only to wash, another word, his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Two different words. The word translated bathe signifies to bathe or to wash. Bathe is necessary to distinguish the act from washing of feet. Two different things. Then the word translated wash is chiefly used of washing part of the body, like the feet. So we need to make a distinction between being completely bathed and partially washed. Completely bathed and partially washed. Has to do with cleansing. Being bathed all over. The sinful flesh is often referred to in scripture as uncleanness. Peter refers to sinners who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. Paul states, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Paul writes to the Romans that they had presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness. So we find that Christ provided the once-for-all sacrifice, and that sacrifice provided a complete cleansing and washing away of sin, being bathed all over. Paul tells the Corinthian believers, you are washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And we find in the book of Revelation, we find a description of Jesus from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, 
the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and, here's that word again, washed us from our sins in his own blood. Jesus told the disciples, you are clean, but not all of you. Their cleansing process was really quite unique. It was, in a sense, kind of a progressive sort of thing because of the unique experience they possessed. It began when the Lord approached them and said, follow me. And they left their nets and their boats and they followed him. It continued when Peter said on behalf of the other disciples, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Their cleansing was completed when Christ died on the cross and removed their sins as far as the east is from the west. And their cleansing was fully realized when their risen Lord appeared to them. And we read, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. What he was saying to them back there in that particular place about cleansing and being bathed. Of course, there's the exception. You are clean, but not all of you. And that, of course, reminds us of the time when Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve, and he betrayed Jesus, according to Luke's gospel. Peter objects, having his feet washed, and then went to the other extreme, requesting his hands and his head. But Jesus points out to him that there is no need for another entire bath. For one who is declared to be clean, and remember he said, you are clean. They've been declared to be clean. Just a washing of the feet. That's the only thing they needed at this point. And it's interesting to notice that Peter and the other 11 were not in jeopardy of losing their salvation. If their feet got dirty. Christ had already made that perfectly clear. When he likens them to sheep following a shepherd. Here's what he said. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. They shall never perish even when their feet get dirty. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And Paul writes to the Romans that they and others of like-minded faith have received a once-for-all cleansing. For I am persuaded, he writes, that neither what? Death or, help me here, life, nor angels or principalities, nor powers, nor the here and now, things present, nor the hereafter, things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Wow. Bathed all over, once for all, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are clean. You are bathed all over. 
Now, the washing of regeneration, what does it do? Titus uh, writes this, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And how did he do that? Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, that's a twofold work. First of all, there's a washing, a cleansing away of the evil and polluted things. The Holy Spirit washes us by causing us to see the evil in our sinful attitudes and our nature and our desires, and He convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And we agree with Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Holy Spirit leads us to confession and repentance and faith. A verse that's very meaningful to me. Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And how does that take place? Well, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, the heart, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. He helps us to understand that we cannot, and this is really important, we cannot eradicate these evil powers within us. We cry out as Paul did, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? For all too often, the good things that I want to do, I don't do. The bad things I don't want to do, I do. Why? Paul refers to this sinful nature as the old man. And he says, put off Concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And the fact that we're told to put him off means that he's not been eradicated. He is still there. John says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Phil Morgan often liked, used to like to say, it looks like you could use a story, so I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, maybe I've told this before, but it fits. Uh, when I was in the Philippines, I enjoyed fellowship in a Christian servicemen's center, and some of the local missionaries would attend, one of them being Milton Hack. And uh, we had a mix of people from all walks of life and denominations and all that sort of thing. And there was a brother who was really intense. I mean, he was intense. And uh, you can see that he was troubled. And he came up and he said, you know, I haven't sinned in the last year. I haven't sinned in the last year. Wow, you know. Fortunately, Mr. Hack was there. A seasoned missionary, a guy who was, was in PT boats in the Philippines, got saved, went to Emmaus, went back to his local fellowship and served as an elder there and then was commended to the work of the Lord in the Philippines. So he understood the military, he understood the boys. He understood the old man. And he said, well, listen, um, you know, I was in the military. And he said, um, 
have you ever complained about the food? Now, that's like asking the birds fly, <clears throat> because you complain even when it's good. Because you're supposed to complain about the food when you're in the military. And he just kind of hung his head in shame and said, yeah, he had to admit, he had probably complained about the food sometime. Well, Mr. Hack pointed out that, you know, do you think that's possibly sin, the one who provides us with all these good things, and you complain about that which he has provided you? And, you know, he went on to be really troubled. He was really troubled over this idea that he was trying so hard to live a life of sinless perfection. Now, the next aspect of this washing by regeneration is by the renewing of the Holy Spirit, God plants within us the very life of Christ. We actually assimilate Christ into our lives. Here's how Paul explained that concept to the Colossians. He says, To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is it? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then Paul enlightens the Corinthians when he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you are bought at a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so now we have implanted within us a new life with new desires, new powers, new abilities, the ability to please God. Now here is what happens. The old man is not to be removed or rehabilitated. He's to be taken to the undertaker for burial. He's to be reckoned to be dead indeed unto sin. Sinless perfection is not attainable because the old nature simply remains. God is not only interested in forgiving the guilt of sin, but he has also made provision for deliverance for the power and habit of sin. He not only seeks to forgive the results of sin, but he desires to deal with the causes of sin. So the remedy, what's the remedy? What is a believer to do his bathe all over and still sins? Well, the first thing we have to do, we have to recognize there's a battle taking place. It's just simply taking place, like it or not. The condemnation has been removed. We've been bathed all over. But we now embark on a new way of walking spiritually. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. They walk a different way. They don't walk according to the flesh, but they walk, what, according to the Spirit. So two, two ways of walking. There's a walking according to the flesh. There's a walking according to the Spirit. And the believer is characterized now. Even though he sins, he's characterized as one who is walking according to the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit was dead in trespasses and sins, and a new spirit has been made alive by faith in Christ Jesus. To the Ephesians, Paul expresses it this way. He says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked a different way, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So now we have two forces at work inside the life of the believer. We have the old man with his deeds, and his deeds are described for us in Scripture. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. Paul explains to the Colossians. The new man now is one who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, Paul goes on to explain to the believers of Colossians. So since the old man and the new man coexist, a battle rages on. To the Galatians, Paul explains it this way. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary one to the other. But you know not what to do. So... A battle now is raging on in the life of the believer. And what is the believer now to do? The secret to victory is found in two basic words, according to Mr. Ironside. I enjoyed this so much. He takes us to Romans chapter 6 and he says, Here is the secret to living a sanctified life. Two key words. The first word is reckon. The second word is yield, or in some translation, it's present. The reckon. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then yield. One thing to reckon, but you must yield. Can't do it by yourself. Yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So, let's think about those two words again. First of all, reckon. We understand, we understand that sinning displeases God, and it's not an acceptable way to deal with any situation in life. We reckon that. We realize, we understand that sinning is against God, and it is not an acceptable way to deal with any situation in life. And then we yield to the Holy Spirit who leads us away from temptation. Remember the Lord in his prayer, lead us not in temptation. Lead us away from temptation. Providing a pleasing and acceptable way to deal with life situations. And each nature, the old man and the new man, require nourishment. In order to survive, they're men. They got to be fed. Here's the secret put off, starve the old guy, starve the old man. Put on, feed the new man with God's manna from heaven. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. There's the manna, isn't it? We feed the, the new man. With the scripture, the inspired word of God, because it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. That's how we feed the new man. The old man then starves. Now I'm going to give you another story, because you're probably ready for another one. And that is, this is really close to home, because I had an experience similar. I spent 
a week in a Orange County courtroom as a plaintiff against a large corporation that sold me and my colleagues a computer that did not live up to its advertised capabilities. This is hypothetical. We have a computer salesman, and he's a believer. He's, a believer. he's been bathed all over. And he sells computers. <clears throat> Last month, he tried to sell a system, and he got outbid. He's really discouraged. He needs this new sale. So he approaches this prospective buyer, and the prospective buyer lays out the specifications of this system. It has to have so much memory, it has to have so much storage, it has to be able to support so many users, on and on. And he looks at those specifications, and he looks at the other people who are bidding for the very same deal, and down deep in his heart, he knows that his system cannot perform. What in the world is he to do? He needs this sale. I mean, he needs this sale. There's a wife. There's the kids. The old man raises his ugly head and he says, lie. Tell them what they want to hear. Tell them that your system will do all of those things. If you get the sale, you're out of here. They're on their own. You need this sale. Lie. Now, fortunately, fortunately, this man has been in good fellowship with God's people. He's been under the sound of the word of God. He has been feeding on the word of God. And he knows that lying is not an acceptable way to deal with that situation. And that allows the new man to raise with an even louder voice and say, you cannot lie. You cannot lie. And he's convicted. And then he yields. The new man says, if you lose this sale, all things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. God will bring you another sale. God will not forsake you. He will assist you. You must honor him. You must honor him. So which man was he going to hear? Who had the loudest voice? The man who was starved or the man who was fed? Obviously, in this case, I'm happy to tell you the story has a happy ending. He listens to the new man, the loud voice, and he goes his way. So I'm going to conclude with a question or two. What happens? What happens? When a believer who has been bathed all over and pronounced clean by the Lord fails to reckon and yield, and yields to the flesh, what happens? What happens when he feeds the old man and starves the new man? What happens when he stumbles and fails? What happens when he brings discredit to the name of Christ? You know what happens? His feet get dirty. Sometimes they get filthy. But his feet get dirty. John remembered this lesson. He learned from the Lord that day. He remembered it. In his epistle, here's what he said. If our feet get dirty, 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleaning the feet. And John, he goes on and says, my little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. You don't need to sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the satisfaction of divine justice, the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. There's a song I like, we used to sing it in Sunday school. It's actually a hymn, I think, because it has several verses. The verse I really enjoy, it goes like this. Though I forget him and wander away, still he doth what? Love me wherever I stray. Back to his dear loving arms would I flee when I get my feet washed. When I remember, ah, listen to the new man. When I remember that Jesus loves me. I've been bathed all over. So now, here's a good question. This is the last one. What happens when the believer fails or refuses to allow the Lord to wash his feet? Does that ever happen? You know, Peter received a reprimand. You know what the Lord said to him? If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Hey, Peter, you're going to get your feet dirty. And they're going to need to be washed. If you're going to have a part with me, you're going to be willing and yielding to the washing of your feet. But then you know what happens? This is so sad. The believer is subject to discipline. From a loving heavenly father. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines, and scourges every son whom he receives. But Hebrews says there's some, there's some good news here. There's some good news. Now, no chastening. By the way, my father-in-law was saved through this verse. Would you go to Hebrews 12, 11, if you were talking to somebody about salvation? Probably not. But here's, here was a verse that he was saved through. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Boy, isn't that true? Ouch. But painful. Grievous, I think the King James says. Nevertheless, if you learn your lesson, if you learn your lesson, afterward... It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Ah, isn't that great? There's a peaceable fruit. You know, Moses learned the peaceable fruit of righteousness. He struck the rock, and yet he was exercised by it. He was trained by it, and at his death, he was memorialized by Almighty God himself. A greater, another greater than Moses. None like him, none after him. He yielded, he experienced that peaceable fruit of righteousness because he was trained by the discipline of Almighty God. And so would we. But you don't have to be disciplined. You don't have to be disciplined. There's the old man and the new man. And we need to yield, reckon rather, reckon that sinning is just against God and it just isn't acceptable. Just isn't acceptable. And then we yield to the Spirit of God who leads us out of and away from 
temptation. And like David, we could say he restores my soul. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we're thankful that we have a new nature. Boy, there's the old man. But we're glad for the manna from heaven that allows us to feed the new man and starve the old man. That allows us to have our feet washed when they get dirty. Because we confess our sins. He's, he's faithful. He will forgive us. Father, we just pray these thoughts might have been a blessing this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.